We missed so much in 2020, from limited crowds and lack of non-conference games to the abnormal practices of, well, abnormal practices. But if we're being honest, the weirdest 2020 week of them all was when we missed this week, SEC Media Days. Now Media Days are back, back in Hoover, and that makes us feel like we are finally back. We never thought we'd say this, but the sight of a bunch of football coaches and sports writers gathered in a shopping mall in suburban Birmingham, it makes us feel so normal. All these coaches and players saying, we're excited, over and over again, it actually makes us excited. Today, we go old school and new school with Dan Mullen, Coach O, and the new kid on the game block, our game cock, Shane Beamer. Get your questions ready. Turn that tape recorder on. It's time for depth charts, outlooks, and hard-hitting questions face-to-face -face, finally. Welcome to 2021 SEC Media Days. And hallelujah, never have we been so happy to have the circus back in town. Hoover, Alabama, the place to be in the SEC. What to expect from Nick Saban, Georgia, LSU, and four new head coaches. Hello, everyone. We are happy to have you with us for College Football Live. Back underway, I'm Wendy Nix with Joey Galloway and Greg McElroy. It is arguably the most dominant conference in all of college football. So sit back and let us tell you what you need to know right now about the SEC. To the victor go the spoils for the Crimson Tide, fresh off their sixth national title in the last 12 years. They look to reload, bringing back just 55% of their offensive production from 2020. The rest of the SEC, well, aiming to knock off the champs, but can they, how do they? In the West, Texas A&M and LSU are contenders. And in the East, Georgia and Florida look to get over the hump. Over on the All-State Playoff, Predictor loves the SEC. He gives the conference a 94% chance of having a team in the playoffs with a 31% chance for multiple teams, both best of any conference in the nation. Not a huge surprise, Greg McElroy. And I'll get the cliche of the day award when I say to be the best, you got to beat the best. So who can challenge Alabama in the SEC? Well, what a way to start the season with a Ric Flair quote. Excellent job, Wendy. Joey, excellent to see you as well. I think the reason why the SEC is well positioned to potentially get two in is because there's a little bit of question marks going on in the Pac-12 and in the Big Ten, and even the Big 12 to a certain extent. But when you look at the teams that are well positioned, I like Texas A&M. This is a team last year that lost badly to Alabama early in the year in large part due to the fact that nobody knew who John Mechie was and nobody knew that Mac Jones was capable of driving the ball down the field the way he was able to do so throughout the course of that game. So when you look at AM after that game, they established an identity. They ran the football. They used play action. They used Kellen Mond. The problem is they have no offensive line now left from last year, and Kellen Mond is now departed to play in the NFL. But if you look at Jimbo Fisher and the way he's recruited, I did their spring game, Joey, and a lot of people seem to think that are close to that program. This team will actually be more talented this year and more capable 
of knocking off Alabama, even though last year they arrived a little bit early with their performance. I agree with you, and I'm very high on Texas A&M also, but I feel like every single year that I've done college football at least, uh, we start the SEC conversation with this same exact conversation. Who can knock off Alabama? Typically speaking, uh, Georgia will be in that conversation. Florida would be in that conversation. But the conversation never actually happens. Nobody actually knocks off Alabama outside of LSU a couple years ago. They pulled it off. So I'm going to go with LSU just because, and I know they had a down year last year, but they played much better toward the end of the season and getting a big win against Florida. They got in a shootout against Ole Miss and won that game. I think it's a team that is very talented. They were young. They're a team that believes they can beat Alabama. And I think that is part of this equation. Uh, when we talk about AM, we talk about Florida, we talk about Georgia, I don't know that these teams actually believe they can beat Alabama. And I don't think Alabama believes that these teams can beat them. LSU is a team that has proven in the last couple of years. They've gotten it done. I, I like what they do. They've recruited well. And I think Coach O is an outstanding football coach and knows how to motivate this team. I look for LSU to be a much better football team. And that's not to say that anybody's knocking off Alabama, but I got my eyes on LSU. No, it makes sense, Joey. I mean, we saw in 2019 them go to Tuscaloosa with Joe Burrow and company and knock off what was an excellent Alabama football team. But the team that has played Alabama consistently the best over the last five years has been the Georgia Bulldogs. Consistently, they've had multiple opportunities to beat Bama. Unfortunately, though, whether it be in the second half of the 2017 National Championship, the following year, when you saw Georgia with an opportunity in the SEC Championship to potentially unseat the Tide, unable to do so in either year. However, they were close and they played better for the most part than just about anybody else. Well, in now comes JT Daniels, who in the last four games of the Georgia season last year really invigorated that offense. They have good pieces at running back, a couple question marks at wide receiver, and a talented offensive line to go along with what should be an excellent defense in the middle. A couple question marks at corner, but Georgia has the recipe. And like you said, Joey, it's huge to have the mental ability to know that you can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the best and potentially knock them off. They just now have to get over the hump and not blow things late in the game like they have on multiple occasions the last couple of years. Yeah, Greg, I've been with you on that. And, and each season we go into this thing, I always say Georgia also for the reasons that you just mentioned. But at some point in time, it becomes a mental thing. And you're right. They've had their chances. They've played them close. They've been very talented, but they haven't gotten over that hump. There's only one team that has actually gotten over the hump, and that's why I like LSU. But believe me, I was with you on Georgia for a good four or five years there until I realized I don't know that Georgia actually believes or actually knows how to get over that hump. And you know as well as I do, sometimes it's just the hump that stops these teams. And if you can't get over it, you just simply can't get over it. Well, there's two things you absolutely can't argue with, and that's one, that year in and year out, Alabama has a stacked lineup. But two, Joey, to your point, there's a Crimson Tide mystique that has been in place since Nick Saban arrived, and it's just a tough obstacle for a lot of these teams in the SEC. Somebody eventually will do it, but until they do, Alabama, of course, king of the SEC. Having said that, take a look at the All-State Playoff Predictor. It projects that the SEC has a 94% chance to send a team to the college football playoff. I mentioned this earlier, but I also said this, though. Listen up. A 31% chance that two SEC teams take up those four spots. That actually did happen for the conference in 2017. Uh, listen, it's hard to believe they won't.
send one team, Joey, but uh, do we see two teams out of the SEC? No, uh, it, it's happened before. Uh, I don't believe that it'll happen again. I, I think that, you know, we look at the Big 12, uh, I think they're talented enough that they will send a team. The Big 10, even though there's a lot of question marks, the Buckeyes are very good once again. I think the Big 10 sends a team. The ACC, I believe Clemson is the cream of the crop, cream of the crop in that conference. Once again, they will send a team, and then the SEC will get one team in. I think we always have this conversation about you know, them getting two teams, and I do believe that if, if a conference is going to get two teams in, it would be the SEC. I just don't see it happening because I think the other conferences are strong enough to send a team to the playoff. Yeah, I would agree with you, Joey. And when we go back to 2017, that was an anomaly because the Big Ten champion, Ohio State, had several performances in which they were less than seller. They also had two losses. So when you look at it, Alabama got in over Ohio State that year because they had one loss. Granted, that loss came at the end of the year, and it was ugly, and they were really bad on offense and all those other things that we know. So I think that it's really the only way a league gets two teams in is if other teams, other leagues more specifically, Pac-12, Big 12, Big 10, et cetera, if those leagues shoot themselves in the foot or if they cannibalize each other, that's the only way the SEC would get two teams in. Of course, they want to reward conference champions. We know that. That is a high priority for the College Football Playoff Committee every single year. So if you're a conference champion with one or zero losses next to your name, the likelihood of you getting in the playoff is 100%, assuming, of course, there are four of those teams that would check that box. So it just depends, I think, on what happens elsewhere. If the SEC gets two in, it's going to be entirely dependent on what happens in the other Power Five leagues. You, always, you almost need somebody else to get in their own way. But again, uh, the SEC is certainly a conference to watch, stacked from start to finish, once again as we look ahead to 2021. Speaking of looking ahead, still to come on College Football Live, we talked just a bit about LSU and Orgeron. And LSU took home the national championship in 2019, but then hit a bump in the road last year. What will we see? Which version of the Tigers will we see? And the Florida Gators look to rebuild the pieces on their high-powered offense. We'll hear from head coach Dan Mullen next on College Football Live. Quoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Florida has an uphill climb to be back in the SEC championship game. Quarterback Kyle Trask, tight end Kyle Pitts, and wide receiver Kadarius Toney all went on to the NFL after prolific seasons. Their defense, well, it needs work. It allowed 31 points per game last year. They're most in the AP poll era. To solve that problem, head coach Dan Mullen hired assistant coaches Wesley McGriff and Jules Montaner on defense. Add it all up. 
And the Gators only have a 21% chance to win the SEC East per our football power index, well below Georgia's odds. The biggest factor there, Florida returns only 55% of its production from last season. I think if you know me with quarterbacks, I have very, very high expectations of my quarterbacks. So uh, my expectations are extremely high. You know, I think Emory has showed the maturity early on that it wasn't, I have to play day one. It was, I need to continue to be developed from day one to be prepared for my moment and my time. And that's really what he's been able to do. And as I said, you know, you're looking at a guy that's going to, you know, as he comes into the season, he's not coming in with a stat line of nothing. Uh, he's coming in with a stat line that he's played uh, in, at, at key times in significant games. And, uh, you know, I think, I think that's huge, and, they, and it's prepared him for this time. We heard the coach talking about his quarterback. It often starts and ends with the quarterback, so we'll turn to ours, Greg. What type of position is this Gator team in offensively in 2021? Well, some of the reports I read, it's as if the Gators shouldn't even show up. I mean, goodness gracious. They lost Kyle Pitts. They lost Kadarius. Tony Kyle Trask is gone. Hell, they're going to be fine. Embry Jones is a star in the making. He's mature, and he's played a lot of football. And he actually, you can make a strong case that he's a better fit for what Dan Mullen wants to be offensively. He is better off offensively when his quarterback is a mobile option. And they can emphasize and utilize quarterback run in regular down and distance. That's why Emory Jones played the last couple of years, just to get the quarterback run game involved. He's also a very good thrower of the football. He might not be quite as refined and polished as a passer as Kyle Trask was with some of the downfield accuracy stuff, but he's got a really live arm and can throw it to every square inch of the football field because of that really live arm. He's got to work with a young nucleus of wide receivers and some guys that have yet to really prove themselves, but Joey, Dan Mullen's going to score points. The problem that I have with Florida lies on the defensive side of the football, not what they have to replace on the offensive side. Greg, that was great. I mean, if I was a Florida fan, I would think, man, Greg, Greg, that, it's not that bad. We might not miss <laughs> Kyle Pitts or Darius Tony. I mean, we, hey, what about that Kyle Trask guy? He's gone. Don't worry about it. We're good <laughs> because Jones has played in a couple games. Hey, Greg, that's real cute. This team offensively lost some difference makers, not just guys that were good. I mean, you don't see a Kyle Pitts very often in football at any level. So to downplay not having him is, I mean, that's very kind of you. Uh, to downplay not having Kadarius Tony in the slot who can hit a home run at any point in time he touches the ball again is very kind of you. When I look at this Florida team and what they were able to do offensively last season, it was the difference in whether we thought Florida was good or bad because, like you mentioned, the defense was not very good. So you take away their strongest suit, which was their playmaking ability out wide, uh, Kyle Trask ability in his offense, that, that's great, but this defense is not going to make that big of a jump to cover up how terrific they were on the offensive side. I think you did a terrific job. I'm not buying it. I think they're going to struggle on the offensive side of the ball. All right, Joey, it is a time of year, though, that hope springs eternal. So. We'll hand it to Greg for seeing the glass half full. Having said that, I don't know then if this is good news or bad news, but Florida will see Alabama this year for the first time in 10 years. Here's Dan Mullen on what that means. Yeah, I think that's it's really exciting. Um, 
you know, I don't get the commissioner in trouble here, but, you know, I mean, I'd love this to maybe do away with the permanent crossover team and, and so you get these type of games more often, I think, for the players, uh, for the fan bases. It's going to be an exciting day. It's going to be a great atmosphere. Uh, it's going to be a, a fun game to be a part of. And uh, as you said, you know, for, for 10 years we haven't seen it. You'd love to, to see, see that more. I mean, well, there's teams that will visit – there's non-conference teams that are going to visit the Swamp a lot more than conference teams. And uh, I think you would love to see maybe a, a better rotation of those teams. You can't argue this will be a fun game. There's a lot to look forward to. I, I don't know if it'll be an easy one, or I should say I know it won't be, Joey. But how important is it for Florida to have Alabama on their schedule and to have a game like this to look forward to? I, I mean, I think in theory it sounds great. But uh, if you're a team that is trying to find a way to, to win the East or you're a team that is uh, losing a lot of pieces that we just talked about, I don't know how excited you are to see Alabama. I mean, I think at the end of the day, uh, and we talk about it all the time, your ability to win your conference, your ability to get into a college football playoff, uh, Alabama has ruined more teams' chances of getting into that playoff than anybody else. So I think in theory, for me, Greg, for you, Wendy, it is terrific to see Florida play Alabama. For teams like Florida who are trying to figure out a way to get into this playoff, it's not great to see Alabama. Good thing is they, they play FAU and, and I think South Florida before they play Alabama, so they should get a couple games under their belt. They should be fresh when they do play Alabama. But if I'm a Florida person, I don't want to see Alabama unless it's in the SEC championship game. Well, the beauty is it's September, and there's a realistic possibility you lose to Alabama, you could still potentially face them in the SEC championship game. So if I'm going to play Bama, I want to do so when they're breaking in a new quarterback, a lot of new skill on the offensive side of the football, and I want to get them early in the year in my building where it's going to be as hot as humanly possible to make it as uncomfortable as we can on a team that has high expectations. So I don't think it's ever something that's a positive to have to face Alabama in a crossover situation because like Joey said that can ruin a lot of teams chances and a lot of teams confidence we've seen it happen in the past a beat down from Alabama destroys the team's chances the rest of the way but if you're going to play them playing them in September when they're breaking in some new pieces offensively is probably the best time to have them on the schedule. Greg once again you come in positive I like this Greg McElroy that we're dealing with today I don't know. Maybe it's because it's July. I don't know if you're, you're not in football mo mode yet, but you're very positive. It's hot in Tuscaloosa also. I get it, it's gonna be hot in Florida, but it's also hot where Alabama is. And, and so they're gonna be ready to deal with this heat. And you're right, if you gotta play them, make it in September. But again, if you don't have to play them at all, that's even better for your chances to get into the, conf the conference championship game and then just see them one time in a season as opposed to seeing them twice. I was waiting for the climate police to step in because last time I was in Tuscaloosa, Greg, it was pretty darn hot in September as well. But uh, again, uh, we'll pick our poison today. Speaking of playing Alabama, speaking of beating of Alabama at least two seasons ago, Let's talk a little bit about LSU. Ed Orgeron and company looking for a bit of a bounce back season. Uh, but first, listen to this. Clock is going to expire on the drop. 
ball, and it's intercepted in the end zone anyway. And Mississippi State has pulled off an upset on the road. Brennan's going to roll right, looking in that direction, throws right, and it's knocked away, incomplete. And a gut punch loss for the defending national champs who fall to one and two. I don't know where you regroup for LSU because they're going to be two and three. That is a true freshman quarterback throwing a pick six and then getting an earful from his head coach. It's a bust by LSU. We've seen it before. The payback from a year ago is complete, and LSU drops to three and five. We have no issues. We don't win. I told the team, put it on me. Got to coach them better. Well, fair enough. The buck stops here. It was a tough season in 2020 for Ed Orgeron and the Tigers. They were ranked number six in the preseason AP poll, then lost their opener to Mississippi State before finishing the season five and five, and then sitting out the bowl season due to a self-imposed one-year postseason ban. Here's Coach O. This reminds me a lot of the 2018 season. There's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of noise out there. You got to block out the noise. You know, a lot of predictions on this and this. That stuff don't matter. It's about our football team. It's about me gelling this football team together, for us playing together. I think leadership, not letting any outside influences affect us, the way we play, uh, the way we perform. I think that's going to be important for this football team. We've had more team meals. We've had more leadership committees. I told these guys, you got to promise me. If anything is going wrong, let me know first. If I can fix it, I will. Let's communicate that there's something that we need to be done, done better in our university that I can help, I will help. Uh, we're giving them all the means that we can to have an open line of communication. And I think that's going to help for this year. Okay, Joey, with a real LSU, please stand up. Is, is last year a blip or is that what we can expect again in 2021? They lost a lot of talent, uh, including Joe Burrow. And so we didn't expect LSU to be as good as they were the year before when they lost that much talent, which is sort of what we talked about with Florida uh, coming into this season, the amount of talent they lost. So I think LSU is a team that has recruited well. They're always a team that is very athletic. When you watch them last season, uh, for, for a large part of the season, their defense looked like they had no idea what the coverages were, where they were supposed to be. It was things that you're not, you're not used to seeing out of an LSU football team. I don't expect that stuff to happen again this season. There was a lot, like Coach said, a lot of things going on, a lot of unknowns. They had the, the one-year bowl ban, which is real funny when you ban yourself in a year, you're terrible. But this season, we know them to be talented. We know they finished off last season playing better, got a huge win against a Florida team, uh, found a way to beat L I mean, Ole Miss. And so you take that, you build on that momentum with a young, talented football team. I expect LSU to be a much better football team than we saw last season. Look, there's no room for excuses. I mean, this is a team that needs to always be hovering around the 10-win mark. And last year, it just wasn't the case. You lost 19 out of 22 starters off the national championship team the year before. You also lost both coordinators. It was a complete rebuild, a complete reset. And then you lose your starting quarterback in the third week of the season to an abnormal and unusual abdominal injury, having to rely now not on one, but on two true freshman quarterback to step in in a year that was COVID. It was impossible circumstances. And if you really look at the talent that's on the roster, they've now solidified both coaching positions that were vacated the year before. Jake Pete's come in, same type of tree as Joe Brady. 
You have Durante uh, come in, Durante Jones come in, who worked with Dave Aranda at Wisconsin many years ago. So these are two guys that are familiar with what they used a couple years back to have success. And you have a lot of young guys that are talented and are also really ticked off about how the 2020 season went. So in talking to Coach O, he's excited about turning the page, ripping off the rearview mirror, burying the tape from last year, and hopefully moving forward with a solidified unit that's going to play for each other. I think, you know, there's a lot of talent on that defense. And to that end, Greg, I do think it's become a pride thing. They don't want to be known for what we saw last year. So uh, they're going to play that card. There's no question. It's motivation. Uh, still to come, I mentioned earlier there are four new head coaches in the SEC, all of which we will hear from this week at SEC Media Day. Shane Beamer steps up to the mic. His first SEC Media Day coming up. I'm an accredited member of the media, and covering SEC Media Days is a big part of my job. But before I leave the house, there's always one thing I make sure is in my bag. Pen and paper, please. The Coach Speak Translator app. The Coach Speak Translator makes understanding coaches' press conferences a breeze. First, say the Coach Speak phrase you want translated into the phone. We've got a good group of guys this year, and we've been working hard all summer. Then, let the Coach Speak Translator tell you what the coach actually means. I still get daily stomach ulcers from missing out on that five-star left tackle in December, but at least our quarterback is mobile because he'll be running for his life behind our O-line made up of preferred walk-ons and popsicle sticks. SEC coaches are notoriously tight-lipped, which makes getting their real message a bit of a challenge. But with the Coach Speak Translator, it's easy. Both quarterbacks have shown a lot of promise in the spring, and we don't have a starter yet. They both toss interceptions like wedding bouquets in practice, so I've been spending half my day trying to woo this all-conference quarterback out of the transfer portal, in which case all I care about those other two is who can hold the best extra point. So download it today and start making coaches' press conferences a whole lot easier. I appreciate the job you media do. I don't want to be here. I mean, if we all don't need that, I need a husband speak translator too, but I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, that's even allowed. Coach Chiswick joins us now here also at SEC Media Days. And, Coach, we're happy to have you. So, uh, listen, I, I, you, you've, you've been there and you've done that. What's your, your favorite coach speak line, if you will? We won't even oh, translate. We'll just let you oh, have the, it. The, the, the greatest coach speak line is, hey, guys, we take them one at a time. We don't look past anybody. Here's what <laughs> this means. It means that the next game past this one, you got a really big game on the line. This team you're getting ready to play couldn't beat you in 100 tries. And guess what? I'm going to insert half of my game plan that week, and the players won't even know it. That's how much we're focusing on this week's team. I love it. Joey, I always love when the coach, like all coaches say we've had a great offseason, we worked very hard, or we've had a good week of practice, which is why when I used to call games, I used to absolutely hate these coaches' meetings where you go in there and they tell you they had a great week of practice and so-and-so's looking really good and we're ready to go. The same stuff you hear every single week is why I hate talking to coaches. I'd rather just not talk to you guys. And that way I don't have to hear these lines that absolutely don't mean a thing, but all of them say the same thing. Well, Joey, at least with you, we don't have to translate. That was very clear. So we know exactly where you see it. Yes. I love that it's not about the wins and losses, but about the process. Mm, is it? I don't think so. All right, listen, uh, speaking of 
coach speak. We'll hear different coach speak in the SEC four different places because uh, the conference does have four new head coaches. Shane Beamer among them in South Carolina, Clark Lee in Vanderbilt, Brian Harson in Auburn, and Josh Heupel in Tennessee. Beamer, who previously served as an assistant for the Gamecocks, spoke about the expectations as a first-year head coach. Yeah, um, you know, I was watching Peter Burns and Chris Doring this morning, and they were doing their top five cliches, and this is probably going to be number six if it didn't make the top five, and that's just to be the very best team that we can be, you know, at the end of the season. And I know it's cliche, but it's true. I mean, we're right now trying to do the very best that we can do right here on Monday uh, back in Columbia, our guys that worked out this morning, and, and us as coaches and players that are here today. And let's move this program forward today, and let's just try and get a little bit better each and every week and see the very best that we can be uh, at the end of the season. Well, he, he strung a whole bunch of them together, but you can't really blame him, Coach. I mean, again, they haven't played a game yet. It is a big job as a first-time head coach. You know, listen, as someone who's been there, handicap how difficult it is to have your head, head coaching job for the first time in the SEC. God, it, it, Wendy, it's extremely tough. I mean, the bottom line is that's a tough job anyway, right? But when you, when you get a head coaching job for the first time, there's so many moving parts. You don't know what you don't know until you get in that seat. And South Carolina is a tough job. Shane Beamer has got his work cut out for him from a recruiting standpoint. Let's not even forget the fact that he's two hours away from Clemson, South Carolina on the recruiting trail, right? There's so many nuances with this job, just the job itself, not to mention this is your first time ever sitting in the head coach's seat. There's so many things coming at you from so many different directions that you're trying to figure it out on the run. So there is a large degree of learning on the job, and Shane will get that in the next year. Having grown up in between South Carolina and Clemson, I can't even imagine trying to recruit right now against Dabo Sweeney and the Tigers. But, Joey, you know, and, and things in Columbia have, always, have been a little wacky for the past decade or so. What will it take for South Carolina to win again? Uh, they're going to need uh, some better players. Uh, they're going to need uh, more consistency, which is, again, coach speak. But that's, that is what it is. When you look at South Carolina, a team that won two games last year and I think four games a year before, if, if, you look at, if you look at last season and you look at your team and you say, okay, if we knock off a top 20 team in Auburn, then why can't we beat Missouri and Kentucky and Tennessee and Ole Miss? That's what will get you. It isn't losing to Alabama or LSU when they're rolling or Georgia or even Florida. It's when you start losing those other games to the unranked opponents in the SEC. And Coach mentioned it. You're a couple hours down the road from Clemson. And also you got Clemson on your schedule, which you think to yourself, okay, that, that could be a loss. you got to win those games that you're supposed to win. And in the past couple years, they have not been able to do that. Yeah, Joey, and to build on what you're saying, the other thing is they got to find consistency at the quarterback spot. If you look when Steve Spurrier was at his finest, he had guys like Connor Shaw, guys at the trigger position that were tough, they were gritty, but they got the job done and they were consistent. You have to find in any league, but particularly in South Carolina, Shane's number one goal is to find a quarterback that's consistent and that he can ride it out with for the next two or three years because as we know, quarterback is everything in college football and any, in any league. And it seems to me it's been since Connor Shaw that they've had that type of consistency, the consistency a quarterback they're looking for. 
in Columbia. We talked a little bit about LSU before. We will talk more about that Tiger defense. Derek Stingley, a long line of notable number sevens. He's the next to wear that jersey. He joins us coming up. Number seven goes to the guy that, of course, makes a lot of plays on the field. LSU, Matthew! Oh, my! Oh, a crushing run! It's just a strong tradition that goes on. I just wanted to uphold that tradition. Down it goes. It's Delpit with a sack. That's my favorite number. Once I got to LSU, it was available. I was like, I gotta have this number seven. I really wanted to be like Pat. I really wanted to follow in his footsteps. To me, seven has always been a number. You know what I mean? Some of the best guys on the team wear that number. Whenever you see seven, you automatically assume this guy's going to make the next play. You're talking about power. Shark, wide open. Breaks a tackle. He's done it again. He's intercepted by Stingley. When I see that number on an LSU player, I pretty much know what time it is. Joining us now, LSU corner Derek Stingley. And Derek, let's start with that notable number seven. Listen, there's been some pretty impressive names in Baton Rouge to wear that number. What's it feel like to wear number seven? It's an honor. I mean, this is something that I've I've wanted to do since I was a little kid. I mean, I've seen Tyron Matthew, Pat P, you know, all of them wear it with honor and pride, and hopefully I can do the same. Listen, you mentioned the Honey Badger. You mentioned uh, another notable name, Patrick Peterson. Do you have a, dare I ask, do you have a favorite number seven? <laughs> Uh, I think that all the, all the number sevens are on the same level, you know. <laughs> Listen, what we're going to call that is a well-coached answer. Well done, my friend. Yeah, put your scouting hat on, if you will, because this defense uh, had some obstacles last year. I know you want to see improvement. What did you see specifically in spring camp? I saw I saw unity um, from everywhere from the front from the front all the way to the back on defense. We. We were working as a group, and we're communicating really well, and we're flying around, and that's that's how it's going to look during the season this year. Listen, if you're an LSU fan and you're looking ahead at the schedule, and you say to yourself, "This defense has got to be better. If they're going to, uh, you know, if they're going to do what we saw them do two years ago, it's got to be better." Tell those guys, tell those fans why they should be optimistic. We have we have an excellent coach and Coach Dur Durante Jones. He He's come from the NFL, and he's showing us um, how everything works on that level. So he's bringing that down from them to us, and, and we're doing pretty good right now. Listen, speaking of the NFL, you're number two on Mel Kuyper's big board. I know you're going to tell me you're not paying attention to that. I get it. But listen, how do you approach the season knowing that you got a lot of football ahead, not only in your college career, but then likely in the NFL? Um, I, I'll look, I'll focus on, um, just playing the best ball that I can this year and, uh, everything else will fall into place. Do you have a game, uh, circled on your calendar, uh, for LSU this season? I know they all matter, but anything, is there a, is there a specific game, uh, that has you riled up at least right now? No, nah, not at, not at this point. I'm, I'm focused on fall camp and, and working on the defense. Fair enough. Derek, best of luck. We look forward to watching. Thank you. 
And he's got a lot to look forward to. He's got a bright future. Mel Kuyper, as I mentioned, has him number two on his 2022 big board, trailing only Oregon's Kayvon Thibodeau. He'll look to follow in a long line of great LSU defensive backs. The Tigers have had 10 D-backs selected in the first two rounds of the NFL draft. That's dating back to 2010. Coach Chizik, listen, let's talk X's and O's for just a minute. How, how much of a factor, what kind of factor can Stingley be for this defense? Well, he can be huge. Anytime you can take a guy and essentially cut off half of the field because he's so good at what he does, that's huge for the defense. And it's huge for the defensive play caller, knowing what he can do, be more aggressive, be able to blitz and pressure because he knows one side of the field is taken away. And you can double the other side of the field. Look, this guy had six interceptions his true freshman year. He's got, and I've had the pleasure of, of coaching three Thorpe Award winners, and he's got the skill set. He's got the length. He's got the football acumen. He plays the ball well in the air. He's got to forget about last year. Last year was an anomaly. He's got a chance to go back to being a dominating football player in this league, just like he was as a true freshman. And you talk, you heard him talk about the level of focus that he has right now. That's what he's going to have to do, Wendy, to get back to his playing form from back in 2019. You know, we talked about it earlier. It's almost like the perfect storm of negative factors came together for that LSU defense last year. You have to expect we'll see some improvement. Uh, a little this and that, Coach, from the SEC, since you're there. Uh, tell me the quarterback battle we ought to keep an eye on. Well, there's a real interesting one brewing in Mississippi State. You know, Mike Leach likes to bring in transfer quarterbacks. Well, Will Rogers last year, the freshman quarterback that essentially tore up the month of November with a thousand yards throwing the football, no interceptions. He might have been the leader in the month of November, but now enter Jack Abraham. He's a transfer from Southern Miss, threw for 3,500 yards his junior year, had a great spring game in the maroon and white game. Look for this to be a battle. Everybody kind of was thought it was a foregone conclusion that Will Rogers wins the battle. But this air raid offense, you know Mike Lee's going to play the best guy, period. Oh, there, there's, there's no question about that. He's not interested in going by the book. Uh, this is where we get to talk about a team not named Alabama coach, the surprise team to watch in the SEC. Well, I like Missouri. I like what Eli Drinkwitz has done at Missouri. You know, they quietly went 5-5 five and five last year in the COVID year in a 10 SEC game season. But I like what Eli's done. I like the way he's recruiting. I like him from an offensive perspective. He's got Connor Bazelak back at quarterback. I love the way he designs plays. He's got a handful of trick plays. He does a lot of movement. He puts a lot of eye candy and stress on defenses. He gets into the rhythm calling these games. And let's not forget, there's a new defensive coordinator in town that came from the NFL by name Coach Wilkes. That's going to be a big time deal for Missouri as well. All right, Coach, already in midseason form, we look forward to a great year and talking with you again. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, guys. Another topic of the SEC, certainly when it comes to media days, the recent legislation or laws, I should say, regarding name, image, and likeness. Here's the SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey on what to expect going forward. Because state laws are either inconsistent or non-existent, the NCA rules can no longer resolve key issues. We need a federal solution. We understand it's difficult to gather the support for such federal legislation. However, congressional action is necessary if we're gonna provide every student 
a clear, consistent, and fair opportunity to benefit from their name, image, and likeness. It's a battle in the Sunshine State that's only happened twice before. Florida and UCF have a new series. We'll tell you all the details straight ahead. ESPN Fantasy Football is back and with the season right around the corner. Get your league set now at ESPN.com slash fantasy football. Just a reminder, because we have been away a bit, remember Dan Mullen and his sneakers? He wears them during media day, and that's it. It's like a one-hit wonder. And so that's 2015. And then look at this, little Jordan here. Uh, this is through – I like the Gator. This is through the years. And I think this is where we are now, right? We got a little orange and blue. My goodness. Uh, the planning that must go in this. Joey, I, I don't know. I mean, he seems cooler than me, but that's not hard to do. Uh, what do you think about this year's sneakers? Any sneaker envy? I'm, I'm very impressed, and I've been impressed with Coach's sneakers. We saw him at the national championship game last year. He came on the set uh, in a very nice pair of shoes. I would like to know how I could get some of those in maybe some other colors, but they're very <laughs> impressive shoes. Oh, I, I knew that, I knew that was coming. I, I knew somebody was going to make a plug. I think those were are those the Tinker Hatfields because those look like the Tinkers. I'm not 100% sure. My personal favorites, though, Joey, were the 11s that he wore a couple years ago. I've always been loyal to the 11s. Love the Concords, but naturally the orange and blue, the orange and blue is just not exactly in my color wheel, which is shocking. But I, I can dig whatever color they are. If they're in Jordan 11s, I'm good with it, Joey. That's for sure. Hey, Greg, I couldn't see you wearing a pair of Jordans. I don't know. I see you dressed exactly like you're dressed right now. Oh. In a All the suit. time. Yeah. I don't know uh -huh. that you Greg, go below that, I don't that, know. Greg. Don't take that. Don't take that. I don't, I don't no, know what, what he means little, That's a compliment. That. I like Yeah, well, that's fine. Joey, that's all right. Oh, I, I'm going to put on my pair of Jordans, one of the 40 pairs that I have, and I'm going to dunk on you next time I see you. I let you know. You can tell we're in preseason form here. We're so animated about these sneakers. I like this year's, by the way. I think they, I think they're crisp, uh, but no one asked me. Anywho, uh, as I mentioned before, according to a report from the Orlando Sentinel, Florida and UCF has agreed to a three-game series. Two of the games played in Gainesville, one in Orlando. Now the Gators would host the Knights in Gainesville in 2024 and 2033. Are we already talking that we are? While the Gators would travel to Orlando in 2030. These two teams, by the way, only met twice before in their program's history. Greg, uh, really just a jumping off point here for which Power 5, Group 5 matchup you'd like to see if it was up to you. To me, I think it'd be really fascinating if you took Willie Taggart, who is now at Florida Atlantic, and played them against the Florida State Seminoles, currently coached by Mike Norvell. I think that just with the coach and the angle that Willie Taggart was let go too soon, didn't have enough time to really revitalize the program and his image, all these other things. I think that would be a fascinating matchup between two programs, not all that dissimilar to UCF and Florida. He ended up within the state of Florida. I think FAU against Florida State would be one I would support for sure, just knowing that Willie Taggart would have those guys without question willing to run, run through a brick wall against his former team. I'm going to go with uh, some of these high-powered offenses in, in the American Conference, like Memphis and SMU and even UCF, uh, sometimes Houston when they're a talented football team that put up a ton of points. We watch them play each other, and the scores are like 70 to 68. 
very similar to what we see in the Big 12. I would like to see some of those teams at the top that put up a lot of numbers go against some of these Big 12 teams that also put up a lot of offense. I'm telling you, I think that the American Conference can go in there and win some of these football games simply because it's all offense. It's how many plays can you run? Can you run 100 plays and not play any defense? The American Conference can do that at the top with those teams. It'd be interesting to see that against some of these Big 12 teams. Who needs de defense? Who needs defense? I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Uh, Greg McElroy stirring the pot a little bit there, too. I, I like both answers. Uh, much more to come still on College Football Live. We're just getting started, by the way. SEC Media Days and Media Days around the country going on all week long. All right, let's go. Blow the horn. All right, let's go. Flex up here. Let's go. We want to have the best. We want to be the best. So the challenge is always how can you continue to strive to that standard of excellence that's going to help everyone in the organization be the best version of themselves. During the summer, we used to go out and practice not knowing if we were going to play. But like, just staying focused through all that and really just building the bond as a team, that's when you know you have a really good team. I'm just so proud of our team for what they've accomplished all season long. Showed a lot of guts and a lot of grit out there. Let's go. Hand down. Pull it out. Kick it out the back. Kick it out the back. Do it right. Let's go. Get your hand down. It's for your benefit. Get the ball out. Get the ball out. Here's the inside kick. Fumbling the ball. And it's picked up by Alabama Malachi Moore. Took it to the house for a touchdown. Each week is a new challenge. Back throws long. Devontae wide open. He is so wide open. It's unbelievable. Touchdown, Alabama. When it hit my hands, it's just like, okay, I can tell that me catching 100 passes every day is really paying off. It's helped a lot just because when I'm in the game and the ball is being thrown to me, it just feels different when it's coming to me. Back of the end zone. win 11 SEC games. Can't tell you how proud I am of that. This is the absolute best because I absolutely love this team. I love all the adversity that they had to overcome and resiliency that they went through. An SEC championship, a Rose Bowl championship, and national championship. What's up, guys? Getting ready to go on the plane, me and Slato. Yeah, Welcome I am to Miami. <laughs> just can't say enough and can't really put it into words in terms of how proud I am of this group, this team, because they are the ultimate team. Wow, that's special coming up tonight at 7 o'clock Eastern on the SEC Network. Argue, though, you can believe Nick Saban already has his team with that in the rearview mirror looking forward. But take a look back coming up tonight. 7 o'clock Eastern. This week on College Football Live, we'll be looking forward, that's for sure. Got a couple more days of SEC Media Days live from Hoover, Alabama. That's Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, on thir 
uh, Wednesday and Thursday is the ACC. That includes, of course, Davos Sweeney and his Clemson Tigers. Still likely the team to beat in the ACC, although North Carolina more than ready to make some noise. Uh, we'll talk about that. We've got the Sun Belt coming to you from New Orleans on Thursday. And then Thursday and Friday, it is the Big Ten. They take center stage at Media Days as well. So just about everybody represented this week on College Football Live, an hour show every day starting at 4 o'clock Eastern, 4 to 5. And tomorrow we're going to hear from a number of teams, Georgia and Tennessee among them. Greg McElroy, word, yes or no, will they get things straightened out on Rocky Top this season? Not, not this year, Wendy. It's going to be a tough one. I'm looking forward to hearing Josh Heifel tomorrow. Okay. One word. That was more than one word, but that's okay. <laughs> we'll see you tomorrow. College Football Live at 4 o'clock Eastern.